0: Welcome again to Commitment Online. We thank you so much for joining us week week after week. And we're so thankful that we have this uh, tool to serve you, uh, especially during our, our current crisis as a nation and as a world, honestly. So I'm Pastor Cedric Lee, pastor of Commitment Church. And again, we thank you for being here with us. We are finishing an awesome series I've entitled for you, From the Ashes. So if we can, let's all bow our heads just to see what God has uh, to say to us as we bring this series to a, a close father we thank you so much for the wonderful opportunity to be here in your presence to know that we can walk through fire or flood and knowing that you would never leave us nor will you ever forsake us so spirit of god please come and, and teach and instruct and uh, help us lord to be men and women who honor you in every aspect of our lives. God, the church in this climate needs to be the church like never before. So empower us, empower her, your bride, to be that bride that you will come back for that is without spot or blemish. Lord, we need you to resurrect us from our ashes and help us to be those men and women that honor you, that help others find Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior as well. Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you so much for your your unfailing love towards us. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this series, we started uh, from uh, May with our women and our mothers. Then we're now in June with our men and also our fathers. And we've been focusing on two particular phases in this uh, message or context is that that God uh, has allowed us and will permit certain things to happen in our lives to ultimately culminate into something very, very special. Uh, In other words, those are our ashes. Those are those things that we can honestly live without. Those are the mistakes we make that we are probably, if we look back on them uh, to reflect upon them, we're totally embarrassed about them. But then there are those moments that God uses all of that in some culminating moment in our life and history to be able to make something special out of them, to bring him honor and glory, and also help others who are desperately seeking his help as well. So in this, we've defined, if you would, the word or the term from the ashes as this. It is when God takes who we were, who we are, all that we have, and begin to make us into uh, something and someone that, again, that honors him and helps other, others come to know him as their personal Lord and Savior. He just makes us and starts this this wonderful process on this side of heaven to help us become image bearers of of God, to become men and women who ultimately uh, honor him in every aspect of our lives, truly exemplifying the person and character of Jesus Christ, not only sometimes, but all times and in all things. That being said, we uh, have been finishing here in in the month of June uh, looking at uh, King David, David, of course, some of you may know he was coined and and termed within the scriptures, a man after God's own heart. He wasn't a perfect man. Matter of fact, we're going to learn today some of his past failures and his failures were dramatic. Uh, Some of uh, honestly, some of his failures, uh, some of us who are listening today wouldn't recover from them. But yet God, in his sovereignty, in his stewardship of the heart of David, ultimately allowed David to recover from this. And really become a man after God's own heart. So there's tremendous hope that we can find in this, specifically as men, as we, again, focus on us in June. And ladies, don't, don't uh, disconnect because I may address men specifically in this context. So if you can open with me to Second Samuel chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 11. And because of the, the time, we won't be able to read every verse, uh, but we will read within parts and begin to really try to dissect what is happening, again, in the life of David as a wonderful springboard into helping us understand how God could do the same in our lives. Amen? So 2 Samuel chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon, and besieged Rabbah, But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him he lay with her and when she had purified herself from her uncleanness she returned to her house it says the woman conceived and she sent and told david and said i am pregnant then you find in verse uh, 6 things begins to uh, transition and it says then david sent uh, to joab saying "'Send me Uriah the Hittite.' "'So Joab, Joab sent Uriah to David. "'When Uriah came to him, David asked concerning "'the wherefore of Joab and the people "'and the state of the war. And "'Then David said to Uriah, "'Go down to your house and wash your feet.' "'And Uriah went out of the king's house and, and, a, "'and a present from the king was sent out after him. "'But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house "'with all the servants of, the, of his lord.' And did not go down to his house. You see the, the trouble brewing here? Verse 10, it says, Now when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat? And to drink and to lie with my wife. Listen to that. Here is integrity. He says, "By your life and the life of your soul, your soul, I will not do this thing." So here we are again. The narrative is building up here, and so the, the 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 core of the ashes that we all can find in David's life here in this part of his life story is that David's life, believe it or not, was full of failures. And here you find one of the most grotesque or the most, um, if you are well known of David's failures. And here you have him. uh, The first thing you find in many times in in failures when someone is in in some authority is uh, the abuse of authority. So David begins to abuse his authority by number one, not going out to battle as kings normally go out to battle. Right. So it says when kings are normally out at battle, David was doing what? He was taking a chill pill, as we used to say when I was a kid. He was just relaxing on his rooftop in the wrong place at the wrong time to be able to see someone's wife from his rooftop and then lust after her, send for her, abuse his power, make her. It says he took her and, and took her and brought her to the king. So this abuse of authority. When the kings go out to battle, he should have been out to battle. He sent a messenger to take someone's wife, a clear abuse of authority, a pure failure. But here's, a, here's some examples of balanced authority we find in the scriptures. So if we're church leaders, this is what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-3. through 3. I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed shepherd the flock you hear that shepherd the flock so you're tending gently to the flock you're leading them well shepherd the flock among you it says exercise oversight not under compulsion underline that underline the next one but voluntarily underline the next one according to the will of god here's another one it says and not for sober gain personal gain it says but with eagerness not lording over them it says in verse three those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. But then fathers, this is what Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says to you and I. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. It's interesting he didn't say mothers do not provoke your children to anger. Yeah, I believe because we as influencers, we of men of authority that God has assigned in the home, it's very easy for us to provoke our children to anger rather than mothers, believe it or not, provoking them to anger. It's almost like moms can provoke to anger, but then they can provoke to anger, provoke to anger, keep provoking to anger, and then somehow mom gets a pass, no, no pun intended. But then when dad provokes the anger, it seems that there's, there's something that I believe a seed that's planted within, within the child, within the home that many times infects generations after generations. So something that a God is really saying to us as men is saying, guys, don't abuse your authority. Don't provoke your children to anger, right? It's not about getting your way. It's about growing your children up in a fear and admonition of the Lord so they can ultimately do what God has instructed them to do and be whom God has instructed them to be without them hating you as they grow up. Then husbands, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, it says this. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered. You hear that? Do not be embittered. The word embittered means to be angry or irritated. Don't be angry or irritated at your wife or against them in any way. Then listen, if so, if you're a manager, business owner, a person of influence in the world, Ephesians 6:9 says this to you about your authority. And masters, do the same thing to them and give up threatening them. You hear that? If you have authority in the world, in society, it is not your responsibility to threaten people, to get people to do what you have called, what they're called to do and what you are called to lead them in. Do not threaten them. It says this, knowing that both their master, capital M, meaning God, meaning Christ, and yours in heaven, it says, and there is no partiality with him. So in other words, you always have a boss bigger and badder than you. Never forget it. And if you always know that someone is bigger and better than you, you will never show partiality. You'll never show someone better, give someone better treatment than the other. You will never abuse your authority because you know you have an authority that's bigger and better than, than you. David's initial, you see, past failures started with this abuse of authority. But then you also see in these same verses as we continue to read, if we continue to read in verse number 11, It says, Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in the temporary shelter. And my Lord, Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife by your uh, by your life and the life of your soul? I will not do this thing. Then verse 12. Then David said to Uriah, stay here today also. And tomorrow I will let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. David just can't get Uriah to budge. Verse 13, it says, Now David called him, and he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. This is David making Uriah drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servants, and he still did not go down to his house. Do you see what David's trying to do? He's trying to cover it all up. Verse 14, it says, Now in the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Think about this. He sent it by the hand of the person he's trying to get rid of. Man, that is so bold and, and so abusive, uh, so much of abuse of authority that he thought he could even give a letter about a person to the person it's about. Verse 15, it says, He had written in the letter saying, Place your eye in the front line of the fierce battle, fiercest battle. And withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die, premeditated murder. So it was as Joab kept watching on the city that he put Uriah at the place where he knew there would be valiant men. So you see, again, Uriah's integrity, he's not going to run away from the battle. Then, verse 17, it says, the men of the city went out and fought against Joab, and some of the people among David's servants fell, and Uriah the Hittite also died. So here, here's this past failures of David. It starts off with this abuse of authority, and then you have this, th- this transition into adultery and premeditary murder, Of the adultery and premeditated murder was part of the whole package of failure, if you would. Listen to what it says. Place your right in the front line of the fiercest battle and then do what? Withdraw from him. Set him up. Proverbs twenty four sixteen says this, guys. For a righteous man falls seven times and he rises again, but the wicked stumble in time of calamity. So I believe at the end of the day, we could be men who, who participate in some of the most grotesque sins, if you would, if you want to categorize them. God doesn't. But at the end of the day, you can fall and you can fall and you can fall and you can fall. But your challenge and my challenge is this, is to rise up. If you fall, you rise up, you get up again. But there's a choice. It says, but the wicked stumble in time of calamity. So again, I believe this, this, is, this is so. That God would turn us over many times to our sins. He would turn us over to this calamity. But the challenge would be is that do we respond in the midst of the calamity? Do we respond in the midst of calamity? And you're going to see more of this in David's life. Is that a wise man or, you know, a righteous man can fall. A good man can fall and he can fall multiple times. But does he learn from his failures? Then if you turn with me to uh, uh, 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, you can see some more of David's failures. 1 Chronicles chapter 21 verses uh, 1 through 4. It says, then Satan, listen to that. Then Satan stood up against Israel. How did Satan stand up against Israel? Attack the king, deceived the king. And moved David to do what? Number the people, or number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the princes of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan Bring me word that I may know their number. Then Joab said, listen to this. God always provides room for escape, guys. Always provide an out from our sin. He says, Joab said, may the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are now. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? In other words, aren't they all people that serve you, king? Why does my Lord seek this thing? Second, why? Why should he be a cause of guilt to Israel? So God was using this man to what? Speak into the king's life, but the king, what? Turned a deaf ear. Then look look at verse number four. Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed, went throughout all Israel, and came to Jerusalem. And he begins to, you know, as the story goes, begins to number the people. Now, again, My my humble opinion is, is that, you know, you see other times that God does number things, right? He numbers how many people came to know Christ in the book of Acts, right? He numbers how many people he fed, right? But I believe whenever there's this number that God begins to, if you would define throughout the Scriptures, as a matter of fact, the book of numbers, right? Everything really points back to him, not to you or to me. But here you find David numbering the men, numbering the, you know, his servants, because it's really saying, wow, some, some you know, trust in horses, some trust in chariots, right? But believe it or not, that's a psalm that David himself wrote. It's a, it's a psalm that he writes himself that I, you know, that look, some do. Well, I learned that I shouldn't do what? trust in horse. I shouldn't do what? Trust in chariots. But what he's really saying here by numbering the men and numbering the servants is that, look what I have. Look what I have. One of the biggest failures after authority of abuse and just blading in your face adultery and murder and just in your face sin is a sin of pride. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 12 says this, for the Lord of hosts Will have a day of reckoning against anyone who is proud and lofty and against anyone who is lifted up that he may be abased. Right? Sin, pride is exactly what got Satan kicked out of heaven. Why wouldn't he try to cause us to fall into the very thing that separated him from God? Then James chapter 4, verse 6 says this, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the humble. One thing you can know for sure is that God will always stand against our pride. Because pride edges God out. Pride simply says, God, I know more than you. God, I don't need you. God, I can do it better than you. God, I have more resources than you. Matter of fact, it really says that we are God. I will be like God that I am in control of my life, I could do it on my own, and you can rest assured, pride will always come, as the scriptures warns us, before the fall and destruction. So when we embrace our ashes, it ultimately helps helps us to get to a point in our lives that we embrace our failures and realize, you know what, there's going to be times that, yeah, we're going to miss that, we may abuse authority, but don't keep doing it. There's going to be times that we're going to, you know, we're going to sin. We're going to flat out miss up. We're going to flat out do wrong things just because we're sinners in need of a Savior. But don't keep sinning. There's going to be times that we're going to find ourselves in prideful moments that it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. But we can't keep, you know, being men and women who are prideful. We must become men and women who learn in our calamities because ultimately that's what it leads to. Sin always leads to destruction. So when we are in that place of destruction, we must be quick learners and say, okay, God, I can't keep at this. I got to learn this. I got to shift out of this and become disciplined to not continue to find myself in this state of calamity, even for some for the rest of my life. Embrace your ashes. Understand that those past failures can ultimately cause you to fall forward. You follow me? Your failures can ultimately, if you you use them to your benefit of learning and growing and becoming a disciplined follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, like you see throughout all the scriptures of men and women who have failed. Read the, the Hall of Faith in Hebrews. You have men and women who have failed over and over and over and over again, but yet somehow God chooses to use fallible people to accomplish an infallible work. But you can't do it apart from him. Embrace your ashes, your past failures. But then as we move forward to to finishing well with our ashes, if you can, turn with me back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, we're now going to see David, how he begins to handle his past failures. And this is important because, again, you think of David after a man after God's own heart. Here's this guy with these horrific sins, right? I mean, who would love, who, who would, how would you respond if someone was unfaithful to you as a husband or a wife? And then many years later, God says about your husband or your wife who's unfaithful to you that they're a man or a woman after God's own heart. Well, to me, there's something behind the veil there that is important to understand, That when something like that, those are some, that's, if you would, in in Christendom, that's one of those unforgivable sins, right? You know, it's like, wow, you know, you murdered someone. Oh, I don't know about you. You're a murderer. Well, you're an adulterer. Two sins that in our humanity, we ourselves somehow find a way to differentiate them from every other sin. But according to God, it's no different than lying, cheating, stealing. It's no different. But we look at it so differently. So it, it to me, it, it is wise of God to take if you would, two of the most grotesque sins that we would define as a, as, a, as a race of people and say, wow, what? He did this and he is still what? A man after God's own heart? Yes. But why? I think it's the question. Second Samuel chapter 12, you look at how David began to deal with certain things when he fell short of the glory of God. Look at verse 1, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he brought and bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children, and it would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Verse number five says, Then David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and had no compassion. Spoken like a king. Verse seven, Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord of God, of God of Israel. It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with sword, have taken his wife to to be your own, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword should never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord. Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I would even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Dang. Verse 12. Indeed, you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all of Israel under the sun. Talking about consequences, guys. But listen to verse 13. Now, if I was David, I would have tucked my tail and ran and hid just like Adam and Eve did. But listen to what he did. Man after God's own heart. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sins. You should not die. My humble opinion is this: We have many of men, many of people, who are ultimately dying because they won't say "I. They wonder why they can't get things back on track. They wonder why they can't recalibrate their lives. They wonder why their ashes seems to always creep up in there today, right? That they can't leave them behind and move forward. My humble opinion is, it's because we won't say "I." it's the woman you gave me, it's the serpent, it's everybody, it's my mother, well, you know, it's my fatherlessness, my dad wasn't there, he wasn't at my baseball games, you know, he abandoned my, my mother, you know, it, it, you know, my mom was hard on me, that's why I'm hard on my wife, because she reminds me of my mother. And we can make excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. And we will continue to live in our ashes and our pains and mold ourselves over in an there, and sleep in it, and be a part of it for the rest of your life by yourself. But it's not until a man or a woman mans or woman's up to say, you know what, it's I. No matter the consequences, God, it's I. No matter what I have to live with for the rest of my life, it's I. No matter how much pain I must endure. I won't push it off on anyone else. I won't say it's because of Bathsheba was out visible. And, you know, I just happened to look. But, but you know, she walked by the window. No. He said it was I. I sinned against the Lord. And I believe Psalm 51, which was written and penned by David, a song which says, you know, this is the content of someone's heart. This is how I'm really feeling emotionally, right? If you read Psalm 51, and I encourage you to go back and read it at your leisure, but I'm going to read you some in part. Verses 1 through 4 says this, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. And you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. So when things don't work out for me, I'm not going to point the finger at you, God, and say, well, why are you you disappointing me, God? Because I can take inventory of my life and say, this is where I've misstepped. This is where I abandoned God. This is where I have chosen to disobey God. And now I want God to show up? No, no, no. God... Is righteous to judge us according to our heart. Verse 5, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Verse 7, purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Do you realize there's nothing whiter than snow? Nothing. Nothing. That's why you can drive in the snow and see a white car but the snow is whiter than snow. The snow is wider than the car. You can have a white exterior house and, and have a snowstorm, and you see the snow is wider than your white house. There's nothing wider than snow. Nothing, nothing ever will ever be created that will ever be wider than snow. Verse 10 through 13, it says, Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I would teach transgressors your ways and sinners to be converted to you. In other words, God fix me. I'm broken. I'm a bad man. And I know it. Matter of fact, I'm inherently wicked. And no one has to tell me I know it for myself. And I think when a person knows that they are inherently wicked, it's quick for them to say, I. But if we become men and women who think that we have a bit of righteousness that is of ourselves, we will always be delinquent in saying, I. Once you know that you could be the one who has failed, that you could be the one that is wrong, it gives God space to correct your heart. If you don't realize that from your mother's womb, you are a bad person. It's tough to grow up and have authority. It's tough to grow up and have power. It's tough to grow up to have prestige. And let someone from the outside telling you that you're wrong. David had to come to that harsh reality that, you know what? I'm a really bad person from the inside out. And this, you'll see, will begin to be a calling card of, if you would, of David. Something that keeps him in sync with the heart of God. Because he knows who he is as the king. But he knows also what the king is capable of doing. And being outside of his total dependence on his God. So if you can go now to 1 Chronicles chapter 21. 1 Chronicles chapter 21 and then again, we're going to look at how, how David responded when he, would, he numbered the men. He numbered his, his kingdom. So again, you looked at how David responded after Bathsheba and his failure there and how he embraced and said, it's, it's I, it's me. I'm the one who did this. As a matter of fact, God, deal with me according to your righteousness. Judge my heart however you choose to judge my heart. I know I'm broken I know I'm wicked I know I'm desperately wicked I'm evil and there's something inherently wrong with me that needs that therefore I need to always be in line with you and forever dependent on you you find in first chronicles chapter 21 verses 7 through 17 again how David is responding he says God was displeased with this thing so he struck Israel David said to God, here he goes again, I have sinned greatly in that I have done this thing. But now please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Verse nine, the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer saying, go and speak to David saying, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Can you imagine this? Behind door number one, behind door number two, behind door number three, this is how God is landing out before David. Choose for yourself one of them which I will do to you. So Gad came to David and said to him, thus says the Lord, take for yourself either three years of famine or three months to be swept away before your foes while the sword of your enemies overtake you or else... Three days of the sword of the Lord, even pestilence in the land and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now, therefore, consider what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Then verse 13. This is how David responds. David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into hand into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. Do you understand the magnitude of David here? I don't know anyone in the right mind that says, okay, God, I, you, you just deal with me. You, you just, right? Listen, what David could have did, I don't know, let's just use our imagination. What David could have did right now, he could have literally just rallied his hundreds of thousands of men and said, hey, anyone that God sends to kill me, can you just you know, circle, circle yourself around my, 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 uh, my kingdom and just ward them off and fight the men, right? And we will pray and ask God to be on our side. No, David circumvented all of that and said, God, no, you deal with me. Listen, that takes some courage to say, okay, God, whatever you choose to do with me, have your way. You wonder why he's a man after God's own heart? Think about that. He says in verse, if you skip down to verse 17 now, it says, So uh, David said to God, It is not, uh, is it not I who commanded to count the people? Indeed, I am the one who has sinned and done very wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done, O my Lord? Please let your hand be against me and not only me, but listen to what it says my father's household, but not against your people that they should pay, be plagued. Do you hear the courage? Do you hear the man's heart? Why he, you know, it is literally almost like saying, you know, and you, I hope you understand what I'm saying God looking down at sinful man. And the heart of Christ says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, I could send legions of angels right now and just wipe these people out. But you know what I'm choosing to do? Bear their sins. I'm willing to go to the cross. I'm willing to take it all upon myself so that you do not have to put it upon these people it's something about the heart of David that really resembles the heart of Christ. That I am willing to reboot this thing, redo this this era, no matter how much it costs me or my household. I don't know many people, not even myself, who would even think about saying, okay, God, take it out on me, my wife, my children, my children's children. David struggled with pride, but he was willing to accept the consequences. But what made David finish so well like this? What made David have become that man that's after God's own heart, that he's willing to take the consequences, willing to not run away from anything that God would impose upon him because of his sin? What would motivate him to do such a thing? Why would he do this? Psalm 78 verses 70 through 72 will be our final passage of scripture to hopefully bring this to a close and to really surmise David's heart. It says, He also chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfold. From the care of the ewes with suckling lambs, he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with his, his skillful hands. It's never how you start the race, but it's how you finish the race. Everyone is on a, you know, the same, same line at the starting blocks, right? Everyone, everyone. Same distance of the race. And if God has allowed you to enter the race, He has also equipped you for the race. But the challenge is always is when I start feeling, thinking, experiencing certain things during the race will determine how I finish the race. You know, do I feel a a tweak in my hamstring? You know, does my lower back start hurting? Do I catch a cramp? Do I pull a muscle? Right. Do, I, do I hear the footsteps of, of my opponent coming behind me? Do I look in the stands? Right. You know, do I forget everything that, that I've been trained to do in the race? Everyone starts the race, but everyone struggles to finish it well. And I believe it comes down to these two final things, is that what David did here in Psalm 78 is that he chose to accept his, his role as a shepherd, and he chose to accept to steward it well, right? Remember everything we've learned. If you missed this, you know, the first part of the series, go back and review it, but remember everything we learned about David, that he was chosen as a shepherd boy, the last of eight children, As he was tending the flock. 15 years later, he becomes king overall of Judah and Israel. Seven and a half, right? He's still on a run. I mean, you have all this time of waiting and preparing. And and many times, David could have just simply bailed out of the race. He could have just ran off the track and just say, I'm too, too hard, too difficult, too long of a wait. And that's what so many followers of Jesus Christ do. This is too painful. It's too difficult. It's too emotional. It's it's too unfair. Right? And we bail out of the race. But you cannot finish and become that man or woman that is after God's own heart without the willingness to shepherd in the role that he's given you and do it well in other words you've got to come to a place in your life that you say okay God if you've called me to this I will do this and steward this for the rest of my life and I will do it well and what you see thematically in in David's psalms that he writes God's conversation to David to rebuke him you hear all the time these shepherd narratives that he always ties in It's almost like what God would do is allow that time of preparing you, of molding you and tempering you to always be the template that he refers back to when you become full of yourself. You cannot forget that you were first a shepherd walking behind the sheep. As God begins to move in your life and elevate you and give you opportunities, you cannot forget that you used to be a shepherd walking behind the sheep. As you have the opportunity to see lives transformed in your life, you know, through you and your giftedness and your skills that he will bestow upon you, you can never forget that you are still a lowly shepherd that he's chosen from the pasture. But then you also see what David did. He did all of this, if you would, with an integrity of his heart and with skillful hands. The integrity of his heart, if you would, from the inside out. But he also did those things that were required of him from the outside in. You follow me? In other words, you can say he did those things spiritually He did the the soul work. He did the soul care. He did those things on the inside that nobody sees but Him and God, right? He did those things behind closed doors that are not visible. But he also was good at whatever God called him to do. Externally, you follow me? He labored, he was a skillful harpist, right? He was a warrior among warriors. God, God gifted him, but he, he chose to use everything that God gave him and refine it and become good at it, to become skillful at it, to become the best at it. And that's one of the failures of the body of Christ today. We rely on the soul care, but the skill set lags so behind. Or we'll do just the opposite. We'll be very skillful, but our soul is nowhere to be found. Then we lack integrity, but we expect our skill sets to carry us through. But they can only carry you so far. But what you find is a wonderful balance of David here is that this remembrance of his, his roots of a shepherd, he stewarded it well from the field to the throne. And it was all navigated by someone who had a a tenderness in his heart that was correctable by God at any moment, at any time. God could turn turn him on a dime to readjust his heart without resistance. You never see David throughout his life resisting God's correction. And you never see David repeating the same sin twice. He made, a, he made some big ones, if you would. But you never see David repeating the same sin twice. And I believe as a father of three children myself, one thing that I, one thing that I adore is this. Is if I tell my children one time, they get it, and they do it the first time. But one thing that drives me crazy as a parent is if I have to keep telling them over and over and over again to do the same thing over and over and over again and if you're a parent like I am that comes with heavy consequences that comes with a price when you leave your assets behind you got to learn to steward your calling well you got to learn to become men and women who, who, who allows the, the spirit of God to, uh, to, to really allow you to walk in integrity in everything you do even the unseen things but you also have a responsibility to improve your skill set, that you must become skillful at what you do. My humble opinion is this, is that followers of Jesus Christ should be the best in every category. Why? He has given you skills and he's giving you the power of his Holy Spirit. You should be some of the top in whatever, whatever field you're in right now. Your skill set should shine because of who is shining through you. And then you should become a person like, like all of us should be. Men and women who knows that I cannot repeat the same thing twice. We got to be one and done Christians. One and done Christians. We fall, we fail, we learn, we grow, we don't repeat it again. This is the sign of David's heart. Let me end with this. There should be an image on the screen now of A cat on the staircase so the question now again as i've been asking you throughout this series what do you see what do you see do you, does this image to you look like the cat is walking up the steps or walking down the steps <laughs> is it walking up the steps or is it walking down the steps that's the question i believe you got to ask yourself as a follower of jesus christ are you going up or are you going down Do you ultimately see yourself ascending, becoming more like Jesus, representing him more and more uh, in this culture, especially during this climate that we're in? Are Are you representing him? Are you climbing more and more as a father that your children are looking at you and they're seeing more and more Jesus? Are you climbing as a husband and a wife and you're your, your spouse is looking at you and saying, Wow, I'm seeing more and more of Jesus as a single man or woman. Are you walking in purity and you ascending in, into the image of Jesus Christ? Are you just walking down the steps, descending? Listen, I believe as you see yourself ascending, you're seeing yourself as God sees you. He sees you as finished in Christ. Because he has given you everything you need according to righteousness and good deeds. He's allowed you to to live where you live, be born where you were born, experience what you've experienced in life. And he wants to use all of them as some culminating uh, event in your life to make you more like Jesus Christ that causes you to ascend in life rather than descend. Which direction are you heading today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the finished work of Jesus Christ because in him and through him and by him, God, we are complete. But Lord, we must begin to see ourselves as you see us. Are we ascending? Are we growing in grace? Are we becoming men and women after your own heart? God, are we men and women who Continue to push the blame on everybody else. It is everybody else's fault but mine. Are we saying, no, it's me, it's I who have sinned? Are we men and women who are willing to absorb and take on the consequences of our actions? Or do we try to run from them and avoid them? Are we men and women who continue to repeat the same sin over and over and over and over again? Are we men and women who are quick to repent and correct it and not repeat it over again? Father, my prayer for myself and for all of us is that we will truly become men and women after your own heart. Why can't we be like David? why can't we be? Why can't we be like David that the the story and the narratives of our lives could be because of my servant, David, because of my servant, fill your name in. So many times you see throughout the scriptures, God thought of Israel because of David. Why can't it be us that God is thinking about my family, because of me, because of my righteousness, because of my faithfulness, because of my heart, the integrity of my heart. Why couldn't God look at you and say, because of you, I will or I won't to whatever benefit it is to your family and friends. Why couldn't it be for us as the church, the church, commitment church, the worldwide church, why couldn't it be for us that God says, because of you, I'll heal this land? Why couldn't it be because of us that he says, because of you and the integrity of your heart, commitment, I will stop this whole racial and Divide and racism and whatever you want to call it that is happening in the world. Why can't it be because of us that he looks at our heart and say, because of you, church, because of you, because of you individually, I will or I won't. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we'll begin to take ownership as such, that God, that our lives will be so complete in you, Jesus, that we don't have to search for any other thing. Which, comparatively speaking, Lord, I believe it will speak to our God, our Lord, that our hearts are exactly like David's. Today if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ uh, It's pretty impossible for you to even accomplish anything that I've suggested today But if you want to surrender your life today to him And that he can lead you and guide you on this side of heaven And promise you one day that you will be with him in heaven All you need to do is just repeat a certain prayer It's like wedding vows Very short, but they last a lifetime. All you need to do is just say, Jesus, forgive me, for I've sinned against you. I've chosen to live my life apart from you. But I now realize today that you came to die for me. You were buried for me. You rose again from the grave just for me, Jesus. Jesus, I... I, ask you to forgive me all of my sins and wash me clean. And I acknowledge you and ask you to come into my heart, my life, to be my Lord and my risen Savior. Help me to live for you for the rest of my life until I see you face to face. And for those of you who do know Christ, can you just pray this prayer of commitment, if you would, That today, Lord, I do want to be that man or that woman that is after your own heart. So help me to embrace all of my past, all of my past failures, all of my highs and lows, and all that I am today, all that I have and even don't have. And to trust them in your care, that you will make me into what you want me to be. That my heart will be full of integrity. And that my skills will bring you honor and glory all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Uh, As always, just remember, we really appreciate your financial contributions. We cannot continue to do what we do without your generous support. And as was mentioned earlier by Mark, one of our elders, is that there's five ways to give. You can give traditionally through check, cash. You can drop it here off at the church, mail it in. You can also give via our church website at commitmentchurch.org. You can give via... The church app, and you can find it at any app store. Commitment Church, just search there in the app stores. But then also you can give uh, via uh, text, and that is uh, text to the text to the number seven seven nine seven. The words Commitment Church, one word Commitment Church to seven seven nine seven seven. That's seven seven nine seven seven. So you can literally pull out your phone now and go to 77977 and text the word commitment church and you can give right on the spot Uh, and as always we thank you so much for following us on all of our social media platforms and uh, and just continue to tune in uh, to follow us every week and please pass this link on and uh, get the word out to encourage people to tune in every week uh, every Sunday uh, here on commitment.online may God bless you